Hey guys, this is episode number 108. Have you ever met somebody who can take really complicated issues and boil them down to really understandable and frankly, very interesting um, concepts? And, and that, our, our guest today is George Landry, relatively new, um, not not to local government, but as the county administrator of St. Lucie County. We walk through a wide variety of things from homelessness to water recharge to rising sea levels to algae to septic to sewer conversion. I know this podcast, when you looked at the, the minutes, you're probably like, I need something a little shorter because this is over 50 minutes. But the conversation was so smooth. He was so smart. He was so good. And he took really complicated ideas and concepts that many of you who are listeners deal with every day and was able to boil them down to the essence and, and make it very under, understandable and really interesting. I, I, there was times when we, during this interview, I'm just listening, I'm going, oh, I'm supposed to be asking questions and George is explaining something. So the episode number 108, you're going to love it. George Landry, St. Lucie County. Greetings, I'm Steve Bancor, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. In each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government here in the Sunshine State. Now, if you have someone you'd like to recommend or, or nominate as a guest on the podcast, you can send me an email at svancourt at vancourtjones.com. Or you can send a direct message to uh, FCCMA on Facebook. Uh, let's get right into it. Our guest today, you're going to love this, uh, George Landry. I've, I've known George. We've been in meetings. I, I, I didn't know who I was dealing with until I read his actual resume. And George, uh, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And George is the relatively new county administrator of St. Lucie County. Um, extremely well regarded. And maybe our first double Purple Heart recipient and uh, or double Bronze Star and a Purple Heart. Uh, right. George, I, I really want to go into the background a little bit here. How did you go from combat in, what, six deployments all over the world to, and talk a little bit about that, to being a county administrator? It's a really interesting journey. Well, Steve, thank you for that. Yes. Uh, so, um, you know, I served in the military for for uh, 20 years. Um and uh, and spent a lot of time, you know, overseas and, and on a lot of different tours. And and um, my last tour was was 2011, 12 in Afghanistan. And uh, and um, coming to the end of of that tour, you know, uh, uh, without divulging too much information, I was I was 40 years old at the end of that at the end of that tour. And, and in the mountains of Afghanistan, at 40 years old, uh, uh, doing a, 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 a an interesting job for the military was was. Uh, was a little bit challenging on the on the wear and tear on the body. So, uh, but when I came home, you know, um, I still wanted to serve, and I have, you know, married with six children, and 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 my wife is probably the the stronger of the two of us. You know, endured more having to raise six kids while I was gone quite a bit. So, so her her, yeah, I'd be, her, I'd be her gone combat too. experience is harder than mine. You know, sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. She deserves more medals. But anyway, uh, so um, you know, we just thought that it was time to 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 change directions, but I, but I still had the same affinity and, and want to serve. And so I started looking at local government and in here, and we moved here to Florida to St. Lucie County. And I was fortunate to get a job for St. Lucie County and their human resource department as a risk manager in the beginning. And, and uh, 
So I try to apply the intensities of of what I learned in the military, still serving. So instead of with a rifle, with a pen, and uh, and I found success with with that and there uh, with inside of HR and, and risk management, um, was able to to help the county in a lot of ways with uh, with their uh, benefits and, and insurance, and because it's a self insured uh, pool. And we found a lot successes of successes too. You you had said something in the pre-interview about the alignment of the skill set that you learned in the military, and it's not typical of those who were in the military. And we've interviewed a number of folks who came through the military. Talk a little bit about that alignment of skill sets. So, um, you know, without getting too much detail about the previous job, it was a, it was a it was a combat-oriented position, and 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 we spent our time there. And, and one of the things that I learned through the process is. Is is the 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 level of importance of critical decision making? So you know um, when you have to make life and death decisions, those are instant, and there's no changing the outcome of those decisions, good or bad. Um, and in this world, the decisions that you make, you know, I consider them life or death because it could be in 20 years a decision we made could have a negative impact on all the residents we serve down the road, but we don't see it. So it's the same level of, of intense decision, but the positive, the difference is the positive side is as you work through that decision and you put that plan into action, if you see it's not working as, as it intended, we can course correct and get it to get to the desired outcome we we're trying to, because it's not an impact instant decision. So where others make critical decisions and, and carry that stress of that, you know, um, Having the previous experience, I'm able to look at those intense and those critical decisions and go, you know, where others are stressing about, is it going to have the desired outcome we have? I look at it like, hey, it's okay because as we put it into plan and we see it's not, we need to adjust the course correct, we can, where they're not, they've never experienced what I have, where when you make that decision, you don't get a course correct. The outcome is the outcome. So having that ability to. If you're going into a battle and you make the wrong decision, you can't say, okay, let's do that again. Correct. If you're deciding where to, where to locate a power plant or put a hiring policy in place. But I, I, I like the lesson there that if you treat it with the same level of intensity, you're probably more apt to, to, to make really good decisions and, and stand by those decisions because you're you had to learn an, ele, an elevated level of responsibility when you're dealing with life and immediate life and death. But you're right. I mean, it's it's as serious as that. You you, you also touched on something else, which I love, and, and it's part of the narrative, uh, the, the baseline of this song that we've been singing through 100 plus episodes is the service orientation. The des- and you said it and you skipped past it because it's part of who you are. The desire to serve a greater good than yourself um, and that that is the common thread, right? Uh, you, you, my son joined the military, you know, and he came out of the womb wanting to yet he called me. Yes. He called me, sir, from the age of three. Uh, and he loves serving. And, and so he's matriculated his way into the Air Force. And I could see that in you that you love the service. You do. And, and it's serving is like there's no when when you're able to impact somebody's life in the in the public you know sector there's no greater satisfaction than that you know and and the impact could be as simple as just you know solving a problem when they come to they're looking for where do they go to get their driver's license you know up to bigger problems that have effects on their property or their way of life so there's no greater satisfaction to that so you know anybody that gets into this as you know because you've been around it your whole whole time and helping many governments out is that you don't do it for the money it's you do it because it's just you you gotta you gotta want to love the job because it's a you're responsible or accountable to right now in St. Lucie County, over 350,000 people. And there's no greater reward or satisfaction to know that you're helping 
provide a better future for for those who are trying to. You came up with a flooding solution, a transportation solution that now everybody's able to flow. They don't know you did it, and that that's the other part of this. The and I, I think it's the common the common thread through your military service as well is the anonymity. Right. You've, you've referenced three or four times. I can't tell you what I did there. And I'm across. Yeah, he's going to have to kill us if he tells us. But uh, the idea that, you know, the first thing you put on your resume on your question and answers to us was I like accomplishing good things. I like serving the public, but I don't want to be the one cutting the ribbon. Uh, that's somebody else's job. Right. You know, each 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 entity has their elected officials and, and they're the face of the organization and they're the ones that the people wanted in place and they're the ones that people go to when things are good, mostly or when they're bad. So in my opinion, those are the ones that that are out there doing those things. My job is to make sure that they get done right and they get done and they're sustainable and they stay happening to serve the people. But but each of us have our roles. And, and I like the fact that I can, so to say, I work in the shadow and get the stuff done. And when I look back and go, OK, we did the right thing here and we can see the fruits of it 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road with our kids and our future kids. You know, and and I, I have a client who's in quasi government work. And uh, I was telling him one of the things I learned uh, by doing this podcast uh, over the last year and a half is is what I call the city manager's heart, which is the strong desire to serve, to do big things, to do good things, but no desire to be recognized for it. And so we we use it as a placeholder when he's, you know, accomplishes something really cool and somebody else gets credit for it. I said, city manager, man, you got to be the city manager. And, and that's, you know, in my brain, when I'm talking to you, of course, you're a county administrator, but the, that idea that you get to do some pretty cool things really impact people's lives. Um, and obviously what you did in the military, you know, we we have the freedoms in this country in large part because of our, our the strength of our military and our willingness to go fight battles over there so they don't have to be fought over here, uh, but not getting that recognition. Yes. Yeah. And it, uh, one of my most humbling experiences in the military of, and, and one of my greatest accomplishments, believe it or not, which most people scratch their head at when I say this is, is when I was a younger soldier, um, I got the, I was one of say 25 guys that got picked to individually personally escort a world war ii medal of honor winner around the infantry museum in fort benning georgia when they opened up the new infantry museum so uh, a handful of us got selected uh, and so and we all got to meet different medal of honor winners so i got to walk around for about two hours and and listen to a medal of honor winner from world war ii as we walked through an infantry museum you know basically you know he was an older gentleman got to shuffle him around and and i was that was one of the greatest things that, that i had for that carried me for the rest of my life because to me that's that's the hero that's the that's the one of the greatest generation, greatest people ever. And, and it was it was an experience I'll remember for the rest of my life. I, I can relate. I, I served for about 20 months. My boss was a um, member of Congress who was a former prisoner of war, spent five years in a box and uh, truly an honor to, to be in his shadow. And yes. I was that puppy dog. I was a 30 year old. I just could not get enough of the guy. Uh, turned out he was the first ambassador to Vietnam. I mean, just a really incredible, incredible dude. And you're right, to be in the shadow of that level of service and that level of sacrifice and commitment is nothing like it, nothing yeah. like it. Well, you mentioned youth, and I, I was going to do this in a different order, but I'd love okay. to segue to that because you have a special place and, and a special calling about um, the youth, young young kids and their education. Talk a little bit about that and some of the stuff you guys are doing because I think it's one of those programs that other counties, other cities should engage in. So you're you're talking about putting things in place. Now you've only been there about six weeks. 
So we I'm not, at thir- three months. Okay. Oh, wow. So, um, we, uh, oh, man, the I, time I, flies by, right? Old, George. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three months, like 30 years, right? No, but yeah. yeah. So, um, so it, it so so as long as I've been working for the county, um, up until this past year or so, I've been coaching youth football here in in, in Fort Pierce in for little league football, and then I coached at high school level football uh, for one of our local high schools, Fort Pierce Central. So uh, in meeting a lot of kids, you know, a lot of these kids coming out of Fort Pierce, they were if they didn't get a football scholarship, they didn't really know what their future was. And as we know, you and I know, you know, high school football, all 60 kids on the team have a dream of a football scholarship, but maybe five get it. And then of those five, maybe one gets farther than that, if if that. But after that, it's over. Right. There's only a very few. that. Right. So but these but these kids all think that that's their way and they don't know there's other ways. So what I was learning is the most of the kids, when you try to talk to them about other avenues of future, you know, trades or college or things or that, that option's not there for them because they don't they don't have that capability and or the or the know-how or wherewithal to do it. So um in working for the county, when I was in the utility role and then moved up into this role, when I was in the utility role, we we created with some of our vendors some scholarship funds as part of our contract renegotiation where they had to put money towards IRC for county unincorporated. Uh, kids and, and things to to get scholarships to go to IRC. Um, for there, pause, pause. With through I, Indian River State College. Yes, Indian River State College here, local in St. Lucie County. Okay. Um, so we tried to tie it all in together because it was easy to get them to there from school because we didn't have to worry about out of state and, and those kind of things. So, but we we established it here local and and the colleges uh, got great programs for youth in the in the inside the state of Florida. Like if you're an in-state, it's cheaper tuition, things like that. So we were able to get a lot of kids, a lot of scholarship offering that way. Coming into this role. Um, what kind of, so did you partner, did the county partner with Indian River State College to create these scholarships for local government like tracks? So, so it started out, it started out originally just with a couple of vendors and I'll, you know, and, and I don't want to plug nothing on here, but like when, when we, when the county renegotiated with Waste Pro, we, we asked them to put in a scholarship fund, but the, but it, it went to county and incorporated residents and a few other vendors like that. Um, but that was one piece that was helping the local businesses and the community that way. But knowing that, seeing the need, um, we started putting together with our school board and, and the college a partnership. Uh, we're working through that this year to to implement, and that's to have uh, a, a track so these uh, you know kids in high school, juniors and seniors, and these kids in college see that there's opportunity to to work local government uh, between the two cities and the county here in in, in our county and in into trades or into more of a professional job. And they, and, and we're looking to put a money into a scholarship, you know, type of fund to allow them to transition into that role, like go to college and work that way or go to a trade. Cause IRC, the Indian University college offers trade certifications, you know, mm-hmm. training, you know, technical certificates or, or this. And, and, and what we see is there's a lack of awareness of what County government does. You know, um, most youth, think of county government as that's where you go get your driver's license or or that's the one that you know sends you a tax they, they just know where taxes or they all know is taxes but they don't know that there's guys that repair the roads guy that do the stormwater you know engineers planners you know uh public safety emergency management for storms you know they don't know that when you when you share that with them and they open their eyes to it they're like how do i do that but they it's not really known a known commodity in in old high schools or college. And the football is it really is a metaphor for you know mm-hmm. if you're in drama you think I want them to be on Broadway someday. If you're playing right. baseball, if you're in you know whatever you think oh I'm going to go there and 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 the reality of it is and 
it's funny because when I was working on my my bachelor's, it was a broad degree. My master's was very vocational, which is ironic, right? And vocational, but by, by that I mean I wanted to get a job in a field. And what happens in public education and, and even private education, we teach, we try to be both vocational and we try to teach a broad thing. And it sounds, you know, Hey, I took biology. I took American history. I took all these things. And those are important for being able to understand the world, understand how to learn. But what you're saying is matching the jobs that are actually out there with the inspiration that drives these kids to want to, like you said, be a planner. Like you said, uh, nobody says, and, and by nobody, I think he meant absolutely zero people. I want to go to college to be a planner. It's not until you understand what a planner is, you go, oh, that's a cool job. Because I get to decide and help figure out traffic problems, water management problems, flooding problems, utility problems. You know, wow, it's cool stuff. And so how are you manifesting that? I mean, what what, what are your plans to kind of educate these kids into the roles of, yeah, and, and can I say county and local government? Because there's a lot of overlap there. It is, there is. So... So we, 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 we've had, I've had conversations with the two managers from the two cities, you know, here in, 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 uh, in Fort Pierce and Port St. Lucie, and, and they have same challenges, right? Filling, they have a lot of vacancies and filling the roles and, and trying to find the right, and trying to find people to take, to take some of these jobs. And then we started talking with, uh, with the school board or, you know, the, the superintendent and, and IRC. And, and, and the great thing is, 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 um, is, um, you know, the, the St. Lucie County School District has went through a change. We have a relatively new superintendent. We have a relatively new By the president. way, I'm a huge fan of, I got to tell yes. you. Yes, and Dr. Prince was awesome. one of my students, and he's a great guy. Yes. Dr. Prince, by the way. Yeah, Dr. Prince. Yeah, he's awesome. We have Dr. Moore at the college, you know, recently took over the college over the past year or two. You know, um, city of Port St. Lucie, Jesus, the city manager over there. He's an awesome guy. Like, there's a lot of new a lot of new team here. And and so when we started talking, we, we yeah, all... Yeah, sorry. Howard Tipton left uh, the county a while ago, about six yes. months ago, I guess. It was an interim, and now you're there. Uh, Russ Blackburn in the city of Port St. Lucie left. God, I love Russ. What a good yes. guy. Uh, but Jesus is great. He is. Uh, and and well-trained. I mean, what one of the things, by the way, as a sidebar, and for all you listeners... I love the fact that all of these hires came from within. They didn't do the, oh, we got to do the that. We've trained George Landry. He's worked with us. We know his heart. We know what he can do. I love internal elevation. It's a, it's just a big deal to me. And I'm glad to see that um, the county did that with you, George, and didn't do the, oh, there's somebody in Michigan that would be awesome to be here. I love the fact that we, we're loyal to the people who've been loyal to us. So So go on. So, a lot so of, thank you. So thank you. Yeah. In full disclosure, our, our board did, did do the national search and I, I made it to the finest list and had to fight a guy from Michigan and others, you know, in a positive no way. I didn't know that. Right? It was a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. So they did, they did the national search and we had a, you know, they, they had a, a couple out of staters and some, some high quality individuals. So, so to be, to be able to rise above that and get it was an amazing opportunity because there was some, some awesome talent in the pool that the board searched out. Oh, yeah. uh, the, 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 Fort Pierce, Nick Mims is still there, right? 
He is. He's he's the and so and if he listens to this, he'll get me later. But he's the grandpa now of the of the group, right? He's I, the old. I, he's the guy. He's you know, the he's dean. a senior. You he's know, so. dean. Yeah, exactly. The grandpa of the group. And he yeah, looks- so we I tease him when I see him, you know, and stuff. And although we're close in age, but he's the. You know, yeah, I get him that way he's for time on job. Very youthful. I will. I will yes. say that. So. So anyway, uh, so talk about the, the youth program. And, and so, yeah, so we started having these conversations and, and, and our board has recognized, uh, the, the board here at the county has recognized that uh, the challenges we face with 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 our vacancies and, and the needs for critical pieces of, of uh, critical jobs, you know, to be filled here at the county. So so they were kind of looking at out of the box thinking. So we thought about, you know, we talked about that and we're trying to pledge it in a program so we can integrate between the college and the schools a, to get in there and and share what we do with the kids and then show them there's opportunity and pass that they could take right out of high school for some certifications or go into college if they want a degree and get a get, get a more in the professional side of the house job of, of you know, uh, uh, those things. So administrative stuff. And we want to we want to create a create a path for them to take. And then when then while they're going to school, maybe provide you know, some internship or some, you know, part-time work in the county that ties into that field. So when they do graduate, they can transition to a full-time job. They have their degree and they're already knowing how it operates and they can make an instant impact instead of, instead of waiting to hope that out of the next graduating pool, some kids find us and come work for us. We're trying to foster it along through the whole process and support their education, but also have them work at the same time, you know, until they can work in a full capacity and, and, and they're from the community they're living here so their decision making is going to be you know important because yeah. that's what they want to raise their family instead of instead of always searching all over the nation we have a good you know we have 5 to 6000 kids you know in the high school you know uh, probably i want to say what is it 4 to 5000 graduating every every year of high school and and the college turns out you know quite a number of graduates every summer you know uh uh there so there's plenty of opportunity um to have them work here one of the challenges aside from from the employment youth side is 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 and one of the things that I think we'll talk about here is in the future is if we do get them working how do we house them <laughs> oh yeah we'll we'll talk about that cuz you you guys have a real issue with with affordability and housing um what, what so just wrap up on the youth what i like about this george is it's not just a hey we love our kids we know that we're going to create a pamphlet it sounds like you guys are really mission oriented here and really leaning into it and saying, look, it's not going to happen on our own. If we want, if we want a better workforce or a workforce more aligned with us, we got to get into schools. We got to work with the superintendent. We got to work with Indian River State College, and we got to put programs and 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 a bridge in place. Right? You build the bridge first, and then hopefully they'll walk back over it uh, your way. Now you're new at this, so. But you said you were putting some of this in place early on. Have you had any successes? Do you have any kids say, "Yeah, you guys came and visited my classroom, and I'm really interested, and I you know, changed my majors or or anything like that"? Any, any any early successes in this? So yeah, we have. We've had six kids from two local, three from from two different local high schools that that I cross paths with. That uh, I introduced them to opportunities inside the county, um, some in the utility and some in uh, some of the other professions here in the county. And uh, um, what's exciting about it is, is two of them are now um, invested so long, invested for a couple of years with the county that they're now being able to go get their actual water license to be a certified license plant operator, which requires thousands of hours of operation of a plant plus testing. And and they they found a, a path, and they never. Th- if you'd asked them three years ago, they'd have been like, what is that? But they're like really into it and, and really see the impact of what it is to 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 provide 
you know, drinking water or process wastewater for people, what how critical infrastructure it is and how it's a forever job, you know, and, and with it with opportunity. So it's been pretty awesome to see these kids that really didn't have a plan or a future. Now they have an actual career path that that has a sustainable income that they actually can can afford to do the things that they want to do. And it's really important. So uh, on your questionnaire, one of the one of the first things you answered to was your your impact as a utilities director and the, and the work you've done. And you know, St. Lucie, it's it's funny because if you're if you live in St. Lucie, you may or may not consider yourself South Florida. Some people, you know, but you've got a lot of the challenge. You're on the Indian River Lagoon. You've got water issues. You know, we had done uh, work with you guys on your sales tax initiatives, and a lot of that had to do with. We got to get neighborhood flooding. We got to get water. We got to get water discharge. We got to get septics, you know, septic to sewer, all those issues. Cause you really, you know, you're maybe not be Fort Lauderdale, which is, you know, 1800 miles of navigable canals. That's, that's ground zero. But St. Lucie's got water issues and you're growing fast. So, which means, unlike Broward, unlike Palm Beach, you have an opportunity to get ahead of some of these water issues because they're, they're behind. They're putting in valves. They're putting in water retention stuff. So talk to me a little bit about some of the water challenges and some of the ways you guys are addressing those water challenges. Sure. So, you know, in the County Unincorporated, you know, obviously it's a little more on the rural side, but we're starting to see some of that urban sprawl, right? Those developments start to pop in the unincorporated area. Um, and when you have the more rural, it's obviously a lot more well and septic. And, and the county utility, um, prior to me taking it over in, in 2018, was... Um, it was very small. It, it it served a very small population, and it was technically it was outsourced. It was it was a contract company that ran the operation, and all we did was paid it. We just we, our utility was a contract, a, a small group of, of of folks in an office that administered a contract and and sent out bills, but there was no actual physical utility work being done. It was done by a third party. Um, kind of like waste, kind of like waste. I mean, you hire waste pro, they come, they right. pick up, you walk, you organize with yes. them. So that's not yeah. bad, but it's, you change that. Yes, there was. So there was there we had people that we had private contractors running water plants and wastewater plants and servicing lines and things. So when we came in, when I came in and took it over, we did an analysis, and the county had a vision to grow the utility. They wanted to put a lot of energy into the utility and grow it to to stop wells, stop septics, and and you know enhance the quality of life within the county. So when they did that, one of the first things we looked at was, if we do this, does it make sense to stay with the private contractor? So we ran an analysis and we ran a uh, like a 10-year history analysis and looked at the way forward. And we were able to actually, believe it or not, we were able to hire 30 employees in-house in the county, which meant salaries, benefits, retirement, the whole thing. Office plan operators, plan, plan operators and utility technicians. We were able to hire them, buy some capital equipment, and in the first year, we saved seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and we were able to put that money back into the into getting people off of wells and septics and, and growing our system. Um, with a little bit of help from the American Rescue Plan from a few years back, we've been able to advance our infrastructure in the ground out farther and start to work towards um, some new water plants and new wastewater plants to serve more people and get the existing people off of well and septic. Because, um, as you know, when flooding happens, no matter how much how great you are with water quality, we get a lot of rain in South Florida. And, and when, when flooding happens, septics, they, septics don't necessarily don't have much of a problem until they till they flood out and leach out everywhere. And then it gets and then all that stuff ends up in all the water. Systems. Right, and, and, and when they're 
you know, past their life expectancy, people right, and they're failing and leaking. Yeah, yeah, right. a lot of stuff. And, you know, I remember uh, I sat through a Department of uh, Environmental Protection presentation, and they said um, there's uh, over 600,000 expired septic tanks that flow into the Indian River Lagoon. And they said, well, what's the, somebody asked the question, what's the exact number? So we don't know. We don't have any monitoring agency of that. And that's, that's a scary thought that there's that many septic tanks, uh, uh, you know, flushing into the Indian River Lagoon. And we have these big algae outbreaks that they open up uh, Lake O and all that kind of stuff. And you guys were ground zero for that. I mean, I think that's where the air quotes guacamole was washing up on the shore so it was we have we had over 500 we have over 500 septics still on a barrier island you know and and, and that's just that's just not not the place you want to have 500 septic tanks so the county actually is currently wrapping up a program so hopefully in the next 12 months or so we'll be moving forward with the pro with the plan to to build the infrastructure to pull all 500 of those off and put them on the on the sewer system and, and eliminate that so so the positive will be hopefully within two years or so two a little over two years st lucie county from from border to border on the barrier islands will not have septic tanks so yeah. let me ask let's can, I, can, we, can we sidebar because this is an area sure. of special interest to me uh, you know, we we we've done uh, a lot of polling on this, and when we've done these infrastructure taxes, what usually can kill them is, and it happened in Volusia. Uh, we were polling well above, and then it turned out that they had included septic to uh, to sewer conversion, and people lost their minds, uh, and it ultimately killed the initiative. Yours, the one we did for the county, when when under Howard. Um, uh, first time we failed, second time we, we, we succeeded because we, we kind of revamped some of that stuff. What is the communications you're using? Cause you know, people don't like to spend them extra money. They don't like the intrusion. What, what, how have you been successful in getting people to convert? Because I think that's something a lot of people listening to this podcast would want to know. Great question. So quickly, you're, your your company's efforts helped us with the halves and sales tax and and helped us get it done and and it focused on the roads and the and the water quality which meant stormwater and you know in the in the swales and things and sidewalks and safety and and all of that money the halves and sales tax has been solely focused in that area we did not use any of that money towards the utility or towards the septic thing because as as we learned from lessons from 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 your team's experience and ours we just that's we kept it focused on where it's at and we're having great right. success with that the utility. Um, you mean, wait a second. You mean you made a promise and you're keeping the promise? We're keeping the promise, and wow. we actually we we actually have all the roads that were <laughs> that the committee, the citizens engagement committee, asked for and agreed, and all the swales were we're checking them off one by one, and we will meet the we will meet the timeline, you know, as it as it comes through to show our success, the hope to renew it in a few years down the road. So so you'll be probably getting a call from us at some time here in the future, <laughs> just just in case, just so you know. Uh, and, and you've probably followed the legislature with it, how it changed in the 48 month window and things that we got to do. So we got to figure out the right timing and the how to. Oh, the way. So, don't you, you got me started. I was just say, don't get yeah. me started, but you could already hear the engine going. <laughs> yeah. So so I'll be calling you to talk about it. So, yeah, so, I, I wasn't going to mention on this one, but you'll be probably getting a call or an email. Some other time <laughs> soon. Uh so when it comes to the county's utility, so the county's utility is what's called an enterprise fund. So it only it's sole surviving it off of its own customer base, which is the bills that for its ratepayers, the people that use the service are the only is the only revenue generation for the service. So there's no county tax dollars or general fund money that goes to our county utility. It's completely a, a separate. We actually pay money into the general fund. We actually pay for 
the utility actually pays for HR support, legal support, OMB support to the county. It's a, it's a completely isolated entity. Um, so that 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 uh, entity generates money from from new customers and from its existing base, and we we pull up money to use for these conversions. But we were successful in getting over seven million dollars in grants uh, to uh, advance our septic to sewer program to to fast track it and get it going. So and we so have almost seven million dollars going towards. Gross, Mrs. Johnson, she's on septic. Mm-hmm. And you can run the trunk line all day long, and we got the money to whether ARPA money. I know the state's been doing a great job of allocating money. Uh, kudos, I mean, serious kudos to the DeSantis administration and the and this Rick Scott administration. They did not want to see guacamole on the mopping up on the shores. That's bad for jobs. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for people. Everything good. They've been putting money in it. How do you convert Mrs. Johnson? What do you what? Because and and. Some in some cases there's still a cost there right, is. to, to Mrs. Yep, Johnson is. because she has to hook it up from the street to her her backyard. In normal circumstances, and you're probably familiar with this, in normal circumstances, that number usually could be anywhere from nine thousand, ten thousand, twelve thousand, fifteen thousand for them to do the conversion. So with the grant money we have and with the county's contribution from the American Rescue Plan and the board's initiative, we can get in front of Ms. Johnson and that number could be sub five thousand. And that sub 5,000 is her connection fee and a little bit of work on her side of the property to run the line to our line. And that's it. So we're able to get in front of the residents and say, hey, we're probably going to be somewhere below 5,000 to have you hooked up. And with that, we have multiple ways to do it. If you don't want to pay for it all up front, we can do it through the utility, you know, and add a surcharge on your bill for X amount of time until it's covered. We can figure something out. And we also are working with some local contractors that will give a fixed price to the folks on the septic abandonment and things of that nature. So so if they know that they're one of their preferred choices, they're going to get a fixed number and they don't have to worry about bidding it and getting stuck with a separate bill. So we can incorporate all of that and take care of it. And, and, and then add that to the utility bill. So it's only yes. $82 a month. Now, as part of that equation, um, also to say, Mrs. Johnson, look, your septic tank needs to be replaced every 15 years, and that's going to cost you 20 grand. It needs to be cleaned out every three years. That's cost you 2,500 a pop, whatever those. I mean, are you also making the financial argument? We are. We're showing them everything of what 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 it currently costs to operate. And, and that's an interesting thing, you know, as we're talking about the wastewater. It's the same with when you go to somebody that has a well and they say, my water's free because I have a well. And then I say, well, you have a pump outside and that pump costs, you know, X amount of money. And, and the, we know water pumps only last every couple of years. You got to replace it. It has an electron, electricity draw. Your softener system, your your you know all your stuff inside your house, your refrigerator, your dishwasher, none of that lasts on well water. Even with the greatest softener system, it just doesn't last because for some reason water's harder coming out of the ground. And the interesting thing about what, what really successful to both of them is when there's a power failure or a catastrophe, we're still serving. We serve without power because we have backup systems and 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 backup on top of the backup for our system. So water's still going to flow. Wastewater's still going to flow. Oh, so one of the one of the Touch points is, hey, and in the event of a hurricane, you know, you know how rare hurricanes are in South Florida. <laughs> uh, in the event of a hurricane, you'll likely still get water or get it re- re- responded to quickly. If you're in a well, you lose power, no water. Right. You got to hook a generator up to your well and get that run. And then you got to run all the rest of your stuff in your house. And most people don't have two or don't want to re- can't rewire the well to the well pump to to meet the the output of the generator. So like it, it's, it sounds like it's been relatively successful because. 
it, it, I was a part of a group uh, for a while there, you know, trying to get some messaging together on it. So it sounds like you you, you handle the economic issue, you can handle the water outage issue, um, and then hopefully, sounds like you're having pretty good successes across the board in that. It is, and and and. and I'm a little different, I guess, than most in, in, in why well, I'm only saying that because I don't know most, but maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm common, but, uh, but for Ms. Johnson, we, I don't like to just send a letter or a phone call. I I'll go knock on her door and sit at her kitchen table at eight o'clock at night and talk to her for a half hour and, and show her and then be available. And she has my cell phone and, and, and I, in this role that I'm in now, everybody has my phone number. And if they call, I answer it because the people are the most important, you know, purpose of serving. And if it takes me to drive over and sit at their table, I do. And it seems like I can get rid of a lot of issues by showing up at the house and just talking to them because there is most of them have to receive, most of them are used to an email or a written letter or a phone call or a voicemail and somebody else calling them back. I don't mind, you know, I'm a, the door and, and talking to somebody. For the people listening, they know I'm a big Marshall McLuhan. The medium is the message. And while I'm in the message business and here's the eight touch points as to why you should make the conversion at the end of the day, George, I think you're exactly right. Sitting down across the table, looking somebody in the eye and saying, this is something we can do for and with you. Uh, and you know what, what, what I loved about that too is the altruistic reason to do it is really not a motivation here. And, 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 and what I, what I mean by that is if you were to say to somebody, look, we all have to band together to clean up the Indian river lagoon. What they're going to do is point to other, other inputs and not see their own culpability. And so I think you guys were wise in a, the medium is the message sitting down face to face, being a good neighbor, being a good partner, being a good public servant, but, and then showing the data, showing the facts as well. Uh, seems to be good because it, 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 from 30,000 feet, it's about uh, keeping the lagoon clean, which is an economic engine, which is oh, that's beautiful. And you, you want to be kind to the environment. You touched on something also, and I don't want to I want to pivot to is uh, uh, replenishing the Florida aquifer. Uh, I read a story the other day. Um, I, I, let me back up. I got into an argument maybe 10 years ago with a guy. I wouldn't call it an argument just to scream. He was like, there's no such thing as climate change. There's no such thing as sea level rise. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to argue with this guy. But he said at the time, he goes, you know, there's data that shows Florida is sinking. I laughed it off. And to my own discredit, uh, I have since learned that, yeah, uh, yes, the climate is actually changing. Yes, the sea levels are actually rising. But he was also right because of the draining of the aquifer and the local aquifer and the other that Florida is actually settling quicker than scientists thought because we're pulling so much water out that the ground is sinking above those aquifers. Um, you talked a little bit about that in our pre, pre-interview. Tell me a little bit of, as, as utility director, what are some of the challenges of doing that? Uh, as a utility manager and somebody who cares about water, water quality, but quantity seems to be making a difference. Correct, and that's that's the that's where that that global physical or or moral responsibility combo comes into play. So here in the county, there's three utility, three main utility companies. There's there's the county utility us. You have City of Port St. Lucie has their own utility, and then Fort Pierce Utility Authority that that serves mainly Fort Pierce and and yeah. some some of the communities. So each of us have our own water plants and our own draw from the Florida Indian Aquifer and the Surficial Aquifer. Um, and so what happens is, is many years ago, probably, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, there was a, uh, you, you meet with DEP in South Florida and, and they look at your, your county as a whole and they, 
they based on future progression pro projections of population, you get like a, a allocated water allocation, like how many millions of gallons in this area can you pull out of the ground over the next X amount of years? How many millions of gallons per day can you pull out of the ground in this area? And then and then as you grow, if you if you zero in on one area, you may have to give up allocation in a different area. So for us in the county, um, our allocation that we were allowed to use, we were heavily underutilizing that allocation, which was a benefit to to the South Florida and the in the DP. And as we're starting to grow now, we're starting to tap into that allocation more, but we're hypersensitive to it because we understand the need. So there's parts of the county that I'll probably never get to and serve. And it has an allocation, so we're kind of saying we don't really need that allocation because we're never going to get there. There's, there's, it's preserves and and lands and things. We're never going to put water, you know, there because there's never going to be homes there. So let's reduce, let's let's eliminate that allocation to to so it, it frees it up in hopes that they don't give it to somebody else, but they they preserve it. Um, so we'll do that. And then the, the other side is we try to create synergies with our existing utility partners, you know, between the cities and the FPUA. And if it makes sense, if they have capacity and they're already serving in an area, why do I got to serve on top of them, you know, or, or or next to them? Why not partner with them in a certain area and have them take on that customer base? Because they're already pulling water from the ground and producing it and they have it. Why why take extra? So well, and you mentioned Fort Pierce Utility Authority, which we work with. The um, I know they're moving the wastewater treatment plant, which was <laughs> Somewhere along the way, somebody said, hey, I got a great idea. Let's put a wastewater treatment plant right on the Indian River Lagoon. Now, it's fine unless it's flooding and overflow. But to your water recharge issue, City of Fort Pierce is pulling water out of the ground. They send it to clean over to the island. And then they deep well inject it. Right. Okay. Uh, remember the old days, and you remember the solution to pollution is dilution. And now we're like, no, 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 because that means let's just send it, put it out in the ocean, and then you have the recharge issue, right? Right. And so I'm hoping and guessing with the plant now moving way inland, um, they'll put that water back into the aquifer, cleaned because it'll be advanced wastewater treatment cleaned. Is that one of the solutions here? Because we, if you know, I know in Miami for years they piped all that water out into the ocean, not back underground, and that's where you lose the volume. Correct, and and so for the county, from the county's utilities, our plants, our wastewater plants, are what we call 100% reclamation facilities, water reclamation, meaning we only produce reclaimed water that goes on the ground in irrigation and then filters back down into the aquifer. We have no deep well. And so what we have to do is if it fails test one, it goes into holding tank, goes back to the process, but we have no way to get rid of it other than reclaim. So it keeps processing until it becomes reclaim capable. And then it goes out, out onto the ground for irrigation purposes and helps that. We're one of the few that we do not have a deep well. So if so we, we stress some. The deep well goes to, below the aquifer, right? It's, yeah, it's down 4,000, 5,000 feet into the where it's it's in the bad spot where it'll never come back up out of the ground. Yeah, it so goes in and it fills it out. Eventually, yeah. it's, it's, it's the, at the end of the day, the equivalent of pumping into the ocean because it goes below the aquifer, then it percolates out. It's good stuff. Right. I'm not being critical. I'm a big fan north of the lake. I would have loved to see more deep well injection up there. But right. what your point is, when it comes to volume in the aquifer, you're spraying it on golf courses, you're spraying it on medians, you're spraying it on fields, so that water eventually trickles down and recharges the aquifer. It does. So, and then and then we're trying to work with South Florida and DP right now on some initiatives because, as you know, we have canals, right? C24 canal, C25 canal. Those pull a lot of water, storm water or runoff into the lagoon, which has a negative impact on it or in there. 
if you pull surface water out and run it through your water plant and create drinking water from surface water, the positive is the, the off-spec surface water you don't get can go right back on the ground and right back into recharge system. It's probably a little better quality than it was when you pulled it out of there. So instead of pulling it out of the ground, if I've got 5 million gallons a day going by me down C24 into the lagoon, which we know is having a problem in the lagoon, why can't I take a million of it a day and run it through a water plant and serve population instead of pulling it from the ground? And so we're trying to talk to them about how do we get into some of those allocation aspects of being able to pull that water. I can still put a well in, so if I have a water issue there, I can re report. So in that regard, well. would like the water management district become a client of the county and they would send some of their canal water to be processed through one of your plants? So they would right now it's just freely flowing through those canals right, into the green, right. right? So all we would do is get the okay to put a pump there and pull the water as it's going to divert it from the lagoon. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to do is see if they'll allow me to pull some surface water out and put it into into a plant instead of pulling it out of the ground. And then if that surface water, if they have to have a, a quota of water to flow, obviously we'll have wells to to offset that difference. But if not, if there's enough, like when they say they're going to discharge X amount, why can't I take it? Oh, so what you're plant? saying is Pulling out of the canals like someone would through a reservoir, cleaning that and using that for your drinking right. water. Instead so of taking it out of the aquifer because it's going to go in the lagoon and, and mess up great the solution. The ocean. Right. Especially like there's times of the year, and I remember doing a tour of the Everglades when people were saying, send more water south, send more water south. And I'm like, and we were doing this tour and the, and the, the park ranger was explaining to us that right now the Everglades has got too much water in it. And we're having to drain these canals because I, I stopped. I was I, ironic. I was with uh, Gwen Graham and uh, others. And we were like, look, the water is flowing eastward in this mass. I think it was the 11. Um, and uh, it was flowing eastward. I'm like, why is it flowing eastward if there's not enough water in the Everglades? Because there's too much water in the Everglades. So what you're saying is instead of pulling it out of the aquifer, pulling it out of the canal, uh, Gee, George, we got to figure this out. We got to go to the water management district and say we're fixing a problem for you. So sell, uh, we'll we'll charge you to take the water. <laughs> I'll take it for free, but it, but, it, but I'll be happy to charge it. Now, full disclosure, I think there are a few few utilities here in Florida and a few city county managers that are that are that are ahead of me on that and doing it, uh, um, you know, already. So we're trying to figure out how what their successes were and, and use it. But but it's it's doing more than the traditional. The bottom line is just getting a little more creative, put a little more work into it to do the right thing. It's easy yeah. just to do the traditional, dig the hole, put the pipe in, dig another hole, dump it back in and run it stuff for efficiencies and costs. But cost isn't the way to go now. We have to get more, we have to we have to be well-rounded in how we do it and look at the big picture of what, what the long-term effects having. And, right, and, and because a lot of these coastal communities are dealing with saltwater intrusion because they're pulling up so much that it's, it's creating a vacuum effect. So the Dania beaches, Pompano beaches, right. Hollywood beaches of the world are having to put their pipes in and head them west and you know, so the so the the coral springs of the world. Like, hey, what the hell are you doing? That's our water. Right. <laughs> like that, no, 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 stop. Let's figure a way to do it. Do it correctly. That's that's that is uh, fantastic. So let me let me hit you with another another topic because sure. you touched on youth and homelessness. We had worked on a project with your county on evaluating uh, social needs, and one of the uh, you know your education system, by the way, came in top. In the country, uh, for for like sized like like demographic cities, um, and other good things you guys are doing very well. But one area was housing stock, and now with full understanding and acknowledgement that the homeless issue is a complex social issue, both in the meta and the micro. Right, 
for the individual as well as for society. No simple solutions. However, when there's a lack of available housing, when there's a lack of available affordable housing, that is an input. And so you guys, it's a it's an area of passion for you, George. Talk a little bit about some of that stuff. It is. So, and everybody that probably is going to listen to this and, and you will is know that the, the, the normal protocol and how they're solving it or working towards it is every time a developer shows up and says, I want to put a thousand homes in, you make them put a percentage of affordable or workforce housing in, but that percentage might be 3% or 5%. And then it's usually deed restricted for five, 10 or maybe 20 years. But then after that, it's off the table, right? So, so you may solve a portion of it for a, for a small problem for a small amount of time. And that's not that's never going to create the solution, right? So if you're putting in a thousand homes, but but people can only afford to live in three hundred of them, that means the the wealthy people are yeah. we're, we're creating a longer problem in the future. Um, so what we're having our discussions with our board is 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 yeah, we can keep throwing money at it, we can keep putting the developers on on notice, but we need to get more involved to solve the problem. We need to be hands on and have our hands in, in, involved in it. And and as you kind of mentioned earlier. One of the things that we're looking at is is let's look at a strategy of as a pilot, why don't we take a a section of land that the county has? Why don't we build the infrastructure already, the streets? I love it. Everything there. And then we make every lot pad ready. And then we tell the developer, the home builders, when they come in, you're building this home, but it's going to stay capped at this price. And it's going to serve this level of clientele for its existence. Now, if somebody buys a home and realizes They'll never be able to sell it for more than this money because that's what it is. We can figure out a program to where those that live in it get a return on their investment as well. But we need that platform to stay in that arena because as you and I both know, when you're growing in the growing up in your 20s or whatever, and you find that first home or in your 20s and 30s, and you got that first job because you're making 40, 50, 60,000 or whatever, and you're you can afford that $200,000 home. But then as you grow and you get, your family grows and you get better off in your professional career, you might go for the next and you move. We want to keep that subdivision there because there's always going to be an influx and we want to grow it because, you know, we have critical needs. We can't find teachers. We can't find first responders. You can't find road and bridge employees because those salaries, you can't afford to buy a house in our world. And so even if they have a good job, we're creating a homeless problem. So if they can't, if they have a good job, still can't afford to live. What do they do? You know, and, and yeah, I, think, I think one of the statistics was the percentage of people whose gross income that rent was spent was more than 40% of their gross income, uh, one of the highest in the country. And a lot of it had to do with stock. I mean, you just, you guys have grown really fast. It's a it's a very successful community. Uh, kudos to folks in Fort Pierce and the renovations they've done there. Kudos to Port St. Lucie and to, to the county. But it's a very attractive place to live. You got beautiful waterways. You got great recreation. Uh, but there's no place to live for people who make sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. Um, and so you're you're saying is lower the cost because because here's the conflict, right? And I and I've been in these conversations many times where, hey, we need to make these homes hurricane safe. Okay, that costs money. We need to make sure they have you know adequate this and adequate that, and 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 they're they're built to these specs and built to that specs. And wow, that's fantastic, great. You know, one of the one of the communities I'm working with now um, estimated that the um, what are the impact fees could be as high as fifty thousand dollars a unit. Well, fifty thousand dollars just leaving the door to pay for schools, roads, et cetera. That means that house is going to be three fifty, four fifty at a minimum, and that's right. very difficult to afford. That's why I think that in order to to be able to really champion and, and have success, we have to get involved and put, you know, 
put the infrastructure in that those impact fees would go towards and then just eliminate and then take that for that particular subdivision, take that impact fee away. So then that developer can come in or those home builders can come in and build that knowing that they're capped at what they can do and, and the people knowing that it goes in there. And, what, and so that's one of the things that we're looking at. So the board has had, the board has, uh, you know, on top of their goal from the strategic plan, on top of their goals and priorities, they've adopted an additional set of priorities this year going into the budget and, and, and attacking or, or working towards that essential housing, workforce housing, affordable housing. That is one of their top priorities and initiatives. So we're actually looking at, you know, carving some reoccurring money in the budget to start getting in that game and actually having more than just trying to rely on holding a developer's feet to the fire. Because as you and I both know, developer can have a great plan come in and after phase one, something changes or disappears and we didn't accomplish the goal and we're now five years behind where we need to be. So if we do it, then we can kind of say, then we're in control of it a little better. And I know it's a tough thing to ask for the residents with, with tax dollars, but if it, if they can show the, the, the benefit back and how we're supporting the, its own community, I think we can, with the right messaging and the right show, we can get it accomplished. And you know, that's funny you say that because that's what was going through my head. 10 years ago, you probably could not have had this conversation. You know, we always talked about the Sadowski Trust Fund and we rated it every year, never really put real money into affordable housing. And then the question was, well, is that really the role of government to keep the house, price of housing low? But when you say, well, we can't afford to hire cops, we can't afford to hire teachers, we can't afford to hire firefighters because they can't afford to live here. You know, George, it was a time when most cities had, as I recall, like these criteria that the city manager has to live in the city. And then you have, you know, police officers must live in, well, they can't afford to live in that city. And so, uh, we waived a lot of those requirements. And so it does seem to be a valid and a very important public purpose to find ways to get the cost of housing down. At the same time, we say we want more sustainable homes. We want roofs that last 50 years. We want rooms that, you know, category up stand, stand up to a category five hurricane. Those things all cost money. Right. And so we have to find a way to do those things and make sure they're on sewer <laughs> uh, and, 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 and keep the cost in line. Uh, George, I absolutely lied to you. I told you this would be 35 to 40 minutes, and we are looking at almost an hour. Can you believe it? Wow. It didn't feel like that. So <laughs> I, hope, I hope we're not boring. We get boring any. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why we blew through the hour, because you were so boring. Uh, uh, before I let you go, first of all, thanks thanks again. I really appreciate your service to the county, the state, and uh, obviously the country. Um, thank you. Uh before we leave, we have a question we ask everybody. Tell us something about St. Lucie County that we don't know. That would be cool. So for for all those out there in the and that may listen to this, uh, I'm going to stick with my brothers in arms. And and most people don't realize that the county has a, a great little gem inside of it, and that's the Navy Seal Museum. You know, the Navy Seal started on North North Hutchinson Island in Fort Pierce. That's the first place the Navy SEALs started training. And there's a museum right where their training grounds used to be. And it's probably one of the greatest museums to go through. It's very interactive. You almost feel like you're, you're a partial SEAL when you come out the other end. They have a little obstacle course that anybody of any age can go through on the property while you're touring the things. So it's a full, full gamut. You movie theater to watch a video about the SEALs hand touch everything and get to do some physical activity. So it's it's all around. You can spend a day at the Navy SEAL Museum and and just come out of there like almost, there, there should be a recruiter standing outside because I guarantee you somebody will, every time they go through there will come out and sign up. Uh, but it's a great place to be. I, I, I've I been and worked and lived in Broward for a little bit and I've never known that. And I really appreciate you sharing that because that it's now on my life list of something to go see because that's that sounds really, really cool. 
it's it's a it's something to be it's when you go through it you'll be you'll be like how is this not known everywhere it's it's absolutely yeah. amazing it's ran by seals retired navy seals they run it they're in it every day they're doing stuff they're very involved in it so it's 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 amazing and that's not now that right north of where the bridge comes over the causeway comes over to Hutchinson Island and the wastewater treatments to the south and there's these two little like an aquarium. It's not there. It's you're talking. No, it's on North Hutchinson Island. Okay. It's across the drawbridge, North Hutchinson Island, and it's right next to. It's right next to the the state park. You know, there's a state pay park on North Hutchinson Island when you pass the drawbridge, and then there's a park called Pepper Park, Pepper Beach, Pepper Park yeah. Beach. It's right there. It's 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 in that parking lot of Pepper Park Beach is the Navy Seal Museum, and it's it's uh it's uh for those that have, you might have seen the movie Captain Phillips. Yeah. Um, so the boat that the seals shot, the guy in the the the, the lifeboat, the, yeah. the actual boat is in the is in the museum. It's in, what it's a in, great that what, I love that movie. Tom Hanks was yeah. insanely good in that movie because he's insanely good in everything. So he is, he is. Uh, George Landry, the county administrator of St. Lucie County, thank you so much for being with us, folks. This is Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCC Made Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County emphasize county today management association now if you have a question you'd like to submit for a future guest or a future guest you'd like to suggest send me an email at svancor at vancorjones.com thank you so much for being with us